Good evening, everyone. I'm Mark, and uh, this is E3, and this is the last Sunday of uh, Pathways Personified. It's not the last day because we still have uh, a week's worth of devotionals and, and growth groups and, and things like that. But we're, we're coming to the end of our journey, and hopefully it's been a challenging journey for you. Hopefully, uh, at the very least, you've taken one step closer to the heart and mind of God if you remember in the first week, we really talked about this, this idea, this biblical mandate of personification. And, and why is that an important thing for a follower of Christ? And we talked about uh, how God has called us to be ambassadors of him and that God is making his appeal through us to make this to, uh, to this lost and hurting world. And then the next week, uh, we jumped into it and, and, and started some I am statements, the I am personifying this characteristic of God. The first week uh, in that, we said, I am invitation, and this idea that God is a God of invitation, that God is a God who is inviting his creation into an intimate and personal relationship with him. The next week, we talked about I am training, and Pastor Eric did a great job with that, and really just talking about training one another up and, and training each other how to be fully devoted followers of Christ. The week after that, Pastor Dan uh, did a great job with uh, I am service, and really talking how we personify that idea, and this idea that that, that Christ, who is the personification of God here on earth, that, that He came not to be served, but to serve, and that, that we carry that on as followers of him. Then last week, we talked about a very countercultural idea of generosity. You know, we live in a, a, a time of kind of this idea that we're owed, and, and really taking that and switching it around and, and, and connecting that with the idea that God is a generous God. That we talked a little bit about John 3.16, so God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This idea that that, uh, generosity is the tangible expression of love, and God is a generous God, and because of that, we are to be generous with our time and our talent and and our treasures. Well, this week, we're also going to be talking about a very countercultural idea. We're going to be talking about the idea of commitment. And the reality is that we live in a culture of convenience, that uh, we don't live in a, in a culture that, that uh, really lifts up the idea of commitment. Uh, and really, our whole lives have revolved around that, but it hasn't always been that way. It was in the 1950s, it was uh, normal for someone to get out of high school or get out of college and go to work for one company and work for that one company their whole life and then retire and get a golden watch and a pension. And, and that was their work experience. They would commit to one company, that that was the, the norm. It's almost unthinkable in today's day and age. Pastors used to pastor a church their whole life. They would get out of seminary and they would be with one church and pastor. 
But that's not the truth or the, the case anymore. A lead pastor or a senior pastor like me, their average lifespan is two, not like death, but lifespan in the church, uh, is two years. I mean, it's just uh, the, you know, the culture of, of change or, or the culture of convenience, like, ah, I don't like that pastor anymore, or, or I'm not happy with this community, I'm going to move on, or I'm not happy with this job. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but, but there's a purveying mindset in our culture that convenience and not commitment is the highest order. We, uh, we experience this all the time in just in how we purchase things and, and do things, right? I mean, who likes to sign a contract? You know, you go to the gym and they want you to sign a year contract. You go to, you know, Verizon or Sprint or something or AT&T and they want you to sign, you know, a two-year contract. And really, you know, we have brought a phrase around and we've all used it. You know, we've all used it that, that kind of articulates kind of the, the idea of a culture of convenience and, and not commitment. And, and that phrase in our, in our consuming is, is there a monthly option? Right? Have we all said that? You know, the gym's like, I want you to sign up for a year and you get like, you know, a 50 cent discount or something. And it's like, well, what about the monthly option? You know, a whole cell phone, you know, burner phones have, have come into existence because, you know what, people just don't want to sign up for, for two years. I mean, it's just uh, this whole idea of just, you know what, I don't want to commit to anything. I want to be free to be able to change and do my own thing. And if it works for me for a while, then great. If it, but if it ceases to work for me, then I'm going to make a change. And well, that may work great in the marketplace, theologically, our God is, is not a God of convenience. That, that, that God, you know, uh, it doesn't work where, where, you know, God says, you know, I think I, I like you and I want to be in relationship with you, but hey, is there, is there a monthly option on this salvation thing? I mean, it just, it doesn't translate. Eric Case, Pastor Eric, uh, likes to say that, that God is 100% God, that he's 100% committed to you. And if we're to personify the characteristics of God, that the, the, this idea of commitment, 100% committed to God and, and his mission here on earth is what we need to be about. Now, um, I'm going to quite a bit of ramp up before we get into the, into the scripture, because I think that this is such a countercultural idea that, that we need a little extra time in it. So there's, so there's a, a long on-ramp tonight. So um, I, I took a little, I took actually the, the pyramid that I used last week with generosity, and I couldn't commit a lot of time to making a new graphic, so I just flipped it over. And, uh, and these are really the stages of commitment. Now, uh, these are the stages of commitment in, in personal relationships and romantic relationships and in, in your relationships, uh, relationship with the church and, and things like that. And, and obviously, you know, it's, it's not a science, it's, a, it's an art, and there's different, there's different stages that we go through. But this is kind of the general way that people make a commitment. Now, I'm going to be kind of going back and forth uh, with romantic relationships just as kind of an anchor point 
for our understanding, but really I'm talking about commitment to the body of Christ this evening. So the first uh, place that, that we start in our kind of our funnel here is fascination or fantasy stage. Now we get this, you know, with, with a romantic relationship, right? That, that you, you see the person and, and you think, oh, they can do no wrong. You know, this is a this is a time where you know you think that 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 person, you know, if you know it's a woman looking at man, he's my Superman, or or you know, uh, or the guy's like, yeah, she's Wonder Woman, or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> that that they can do no wrong. This is a stage where we focus on commonalities. This is the place where we're trying to show our best to one another, and not our you know our ugly you know hairy backside or something like that. We want to put our best face forward, right? And for the church, you know, like when we're coming into a church that, that you know, we come in and, and we focus on the, the similarities. Like we, we look, walk into a place and say, oh, this place, you know, is like me. I get this space, you know. Oh, you know, they believe in the things that, that I believe in and, and, and we have so much in common. And this is such a great place. You know, at this, at this stage, you know, you kind of view conflict as bad. You know, and, and like, even though you may see something that yeah, you don't really like or something, that you're really not going to say anything because, you know what, you're really, you're not part of that church yet, and it's really, you know, it, it really doesn't impact you. And it's basically, you know, you kind of put all your, your ideas and hopes and dreams you know, on that church thinking, okay, this church is the perfect church for me. And the reality is though, right, there, there's, there's no perfect church and, and there's no perfect person. And that's where you move, after you've been around a little bit, you move into the calibration stage. This is, this is a stage where, where you kind of start to square off your, your ideal with the reality, this is, this is where you begin to realize that the church is not an organization that, that perfectly follows the Word of God, but it is an organism filled with broken, messy people. You're like, whoa, I didn't realize that, that you know what, these people you know, even though they want to be fully devoted followers of Christ, there's a lot of them, you know, that we're just not. And you may even look at, at, at the pastor, me, and, and say, you know what? I, you know, I thought he was a better man than that. You know, I, did, I just, I thought that, that, you know, there was like Jesus and then him, but, you know, he's like way down here. I remember early, uh, like it was one of the first years I was a pastor and, and I always believed in being in small group Bible studies with people that I was pastoring. I, I don't like to separate myself. I like to be part. I remember in this growth group, this guy came and, and, uh, and he, he just was staring at me through the whole growth group. It was so uncomfortable. It was just like, I mean, it was like, and finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. And with all my, you know, subtle, subtlety and charm, you know, as, as, as me, I just looked, I'm like, dude, what are you looking at? 
Like, I mean, it was just like I was fed up. And, and, and he, I can't, I can't imagine, I, you will not believe what he said. Maybe you will. He said, I don't like you being in my growth group. I said, why? I'm a nice guy. I'm funny, you know. I said, I don't like you being in my growth group because I like to think of my pastors as perfect. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm gentle this way. I said, so you like living in a lie. Believe me, I know a lot of pastors, and we're far from perfect. You know, uh, we, we want to be fully devoted followers of Christ, but, and we believe that we're called to, to uh, in a place of leadership, but that does not make us any holier or better than anybody else. That actually just makes us uh, more responsible uh, in the end that God's going to be like, where did you lead my people? So, you know, this kind of idea. So, you know what, we come into this calibration stage where we're like, you know what, when I first was there and, 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 and you know, things seemed really cool and things like this, and this is what I thought, but this is the reality. This is, you know, kind of uh, the time where, you know, after you've kind of done the calibration that you move into the fight or flight stage. Now, this is where most relationships break up, right? You know, it's like, well, do I want to fight for this relationship or I just want to take off. And it, it, it's okay. I mean, it's just that's the nature of relationships. And this is the point where small annoyances start to become a big issue. And, you know, maybe in the context here, maybe if this is your first time tonight and you're and you like you leave and go out for coffee or something afterwards, you know, you know that Pastor Mark, it's cute how he makes offhanded remarks all through his, his talk. Yeah, it might be cute now, but it, maybe it'll become an annoyance later, you know, and it's, it's that point where it's like, dude, I just wish he would shut up and read the Bible or, or, or something like that. But I mean, that's just kind of the calibration, you know, that I find things funny that, that I can't help myself. It's like Tourette's, you know, a funny thought will come into my head and it comes out of my mouth. So, I mean, that's like one thing. And you know, this is where you start knowing about things going on in the church and you have a better understanding and you're like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like that or I didn't realize. And this is where kind of the differences uh, start to build and, and you, you, you're trying to figure, you know, should I just go or should I stay? And, you know, those can be all sorts of, of different, you know, differences for some people. And I've heard, I've heard so many, you know, I, I've had people say, you know what? You cannot worship God in coffee rounds. And, you know, you have to be sitting in a straight row. I don't know where people got that. Maybe you people sitting in the back row can explain it to the people in the coffee rounds why, why they are not worshiping God. But, but you know, uh, just this, this, this idea that, you know what, for some people, that's a deal breaker. You know, and, and, you know, it's just a lot of times it comes down to personal preference, which, you know, I mean, it's just, it just fine. But just, you know, this idea of like, do I want to fight for what I want to believe? Uh, do I, do I, do I want to resolve this? Or do I just want to leave? And, and people make different decisions on that. If you get through the fight or flight stage, then you get to the stability stage. And the stability stage is, is a relatively kind of peaceful time where you haven't necessarily jumped to the commitment, but, but you're here. You know, that, that, that you know what, you've come to know what to expect, and for better or for worse, you're okay with it. 
You know, that, that when you came here tonight, if you've been coming here for a while and you, you consider this your, your home church, you know, there's different things that you expected. You expected when you walked in that, that there would be uh, lattes and, and, and coffee that, that, that is being, you know, given for free um, by the generosity of the people in this church. That you expected to see certain people uh, here and, and you, uh, you know, and definitely you, ex- you expected not to see certain people, right? And every so often, you know, people will, their words, worlds will collide and they're like, what are you doing here? It's like a terrible thing to say to somebody, you know, when they come to church. What are you doing here? And you like take a step back because you think lightning's going to strike them or something. That, that you know, I, this, uh, this idea that, you know, there's things that you expected. You expected musical worship. You expected someone to come up in and, and talk about God's word, which I'm going to get to. And, or, 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 or something like that, right? So, I mean, this is a time where, you know what? You realize this place isn't perfect, but you know what? It's, it's your church home. And this is the point where uh, not many people get to as they move from the stability because there's not a lot of pressure in the stability stage. There's like you get a lot of benefits, you've settled, but you haven't actually kind of signed on the dotted line. This is, you know, the, the, you know when people really like get married or, or, or something like that in a relationship, this is the public commitment kind of uh, time. I estimate that only about three to five percent of uh, church people, uh, church ownerships or attendees ever make it to this commitment or ownership stage where, where they say, you know what, I am here. This is the local church that God has called me to, and uh, you know, this is my place. And uh, I'll talk about that more later, but you know, this this is the stage where, where there's an acceptance of the church vision and there, there, there's, you know, a, a dedication to the purpose of, of that church. And, and our church, it's to make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. And that you are, you know, you fully own that vision. And, and you get involved and you give your time and your money and your, and, and your talents to achieving that vision. That you realize, you know, all, you know, the faults of the church. You know the shortcomings of, of your local church. But you're, and you know that the church is a collection of broken, messy people. And this is where you say, you know what? Even though it's not a perfect church, I know if I commit to this, that, that my input can make it a better church. That I can bring that church closer to the heart and mind of God. Uh, a couple, Louie and Susie Cerna, um, they've been here from before E3 was E3. Uh, they were part of the team that actually, uh, the team of church planners who actually called me from California to come here uh, nearly 10 years ago. They've been uh, gracious enough to share a little bit about uh, commitment with you through video t- this evening. So watch this with me. We were there for the launch, and we were there uh, before the church started. We were praying for a pastor and praying for a vision of what the church would be. And we got this guy from California. <laughs> 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 we went from 
a handful of maybe 50 to 60 people, a core, core group, on one Sunday to the next Sunday of like 600 people. It crazy, it was amazing though. Well, we started out uh, both involved in youth. Uh, we both worked with E3 Kids. Um, right now, um, or we're talking about doing, um, working with Dan Meyer and doing uh, premarital counseling. Susie's involved in coffee. And red eye. <laughs> <laughs> I love red eye. Having the obligation to pray and having the obligation to be there for a family of believers, and it, it is like a family. And you know, we take our kids there and show them that they're a part of a larger uh, community of Christians. And you know, with that, you take uh, the good and the bad, and you know, you just strive to, to make things better. It's like a huge room full of big, messy, broken people who are extending love and grace and helping you get to a place with God that you want to be. And they're committed to doing that and they're committed to walking alongside you during that time. When you are an owner, there is a distinction and you do make an investment into the, uh, into the community. And you know, memberships can be changed so quickly, like a gym right. membership and things like right. that. And um, you know, it's different when you're own, when you when you're an owner and you have uh, a stake in what happens. You're a part, so of to something. speak. Just taking that leap of commitment, and I just started thinking about commitment and what it means. And the definition is to to promise, to pledge, to engage, to be involved in. And I just, I kind of started thinking about that yesterday and today and what that means. And it, it's hard work, but it's so totally worth it. And if you can get plugged in and commit to that, because I just, I think our society today, there's just no commitment mm -hmm. because it's all about me and what can I benefit from. And when you're committed to something, you're looking beyond yourself. My name is Louie. My name is Susie. And we, and we are, are commitment. commitment. So just in jumping into scripture tonight, what I, kind of, what I want to do is build the foundation of our faith being a, a faith of a covenant faith, a faith of commitment. And to start out that, I'd like to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 13. And the writer of Hebrews writes this, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant, a new commitment between God and people so that we who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised for them. Now, I want you to pay attention to this last sentence here because I bring, think it brings all this, this scripture into clarity. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they have committed under the first covenant. In the law of grace, we talked a lot about this. And we talked about how, how the law was the, the, the perfect standard 
for God's people, but we all fell short of God's glorious standard. And because of God's love for us, that we are under a new covenant ushered in by Jesus Christ, a new covenant of grace, a new commitment from God to us that we now live under grace. If you flip over to 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, we kind of expand and expound on this idea where Paul writes, we are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualifications come from God. That's where our authority comes from. And then kind of just the key sentence really for all of today is this. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. Christ by his sacrifice, Christ by his commitment to us has enabled us to be the ministers, not just me, not just Pastor Dan, not just the other Pastor Dan or Pastor Eric, but all of us have been enabled to be ministers of this new covenant, this new commitment of grace from God to his people. And he goes on just to clarify, this is not a covenant of written laws, but of one, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. You guys know who Vince Lombardi is, football coach, um, pretty famous football coach that uh, he and, and kind of leadership guru, this is what he says. He says, individual commitment to a group effort, that is what makes a team work, a society work, a civilization work. If I may, as, as your pastor, just kind of make that into the context of, of the body of Christ uh, to, to the church, an individual commitment. That means an individual as just one of us when, when Evan or Gigi or, or, or Jason says, I'm committing to, this, to the body of Christ, that is what makes the church work. That's what makes the body of Christ work. And the more individuals that commit to the larger vision the more the church can do. I'm asked all the time, you know, hey, why doesn't E3 do pathways year-round? You know, why don't we have always a daily devotional? Why don't we have all these, you know, nifty interview videos and, and you know, all these things? And, and really, the an there's one answer. It's beyond the current, you know, individuals who have committed to this church's capacity to do it. It's all we can do is to do it for 40 days. But it's not beyond our capacity as a church, if more individuals committed to the work of the body of Christ, you know, more growth and more impact would happen. More people would be fed. More people would be going on mission trips. More people would have homes. More people would hear and experience about the new covenant of grace. It's just, that's why commitment is so important. But we're told again and again that, 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 People fear commitment. People don't want a commitment. I think that's a lie. Because I don't think that you fear commitment. If I had a stock holding up right here, 
And I said, you know what, if you buy this stock, I guarantee you it'll double in value in one week. Obviously not Facebook stock, but, but another stock, you know. And, and, and you know what, this is my commitment to you with this stock. If you buy this stock for me tonight, and it has not doubled by next week, by next Sunday, I will personally make up the difference. Every single one of you would line up and buy that stock. Every single one of you. Because you're not afraid of commitment. People are afraid of outcome. We're afraid that if we invest in one thing that we're going to miss out on another. We're afraid if we go to this party that, that we're going to miss you know, a better party. We're afraid if we go to this church that, that the pastor is going to be better over at that church or the community is going to be better at that church. And uh, or we are afraid, you know, what blows me away all the time, you know, there's so many uh, you know, beautiful young Christian ladies that, that, that come to our church. And, and they're like, where are the Christian guys? And I'm like, I have no idea. You know, but I think a lot of it I've heard guys say, you know, I just don't want to commit to going out with anybody, you know, and, and building a relationship with it. Because what if there's another girl around the corner who's better? And I'm like, you know what? You know what's around the corner? Nothing. That, that you know what? That God has brought everything you need in the right timing all around you. That doesn't mean that you all have to get married off to whoever's here tonight. But, but there, you know, there, is, there is the idea that, you know what? Sometimes the blessing is right there. And it can be our fear of outcome that can stop us from committing. It happens in relationships, personal relationships, and it happens with churches. That people are afraid to commit to a body of work because they just, they're afraid of the outcome. They're afraid, what if I commit? Then I'll miss something else. And really missing the point by not committing, they're, they're missing out on everything. So understanding and articulating the cost of commitment, I think Jesus does a beautiful job in this in two separate scriptures that I want to share with you. Toward the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is, is starting to tell his disciples very plainly, very clearly, what is going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. And he says that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. You know, Jesus wasn't in a fantasy world. He understood when he, why and when, when he went to Jerusalem, what was going to happen. That he was going to be tortured. He was going to be humiliated. He understood that the guys who were meant to be his best buddies, the, the, the pastors and the priests and the religious rulers, were going to lead the charge in his torture, in his condemnation, and in his ultimate death. So he wasn't under, you know, some sort of, you know, just kind of illusion or illusion that, that everything was going to be great when he got to Jerusalem. He understood what was going to happen when he got there. After hearing this, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And I love Jesus' response. For all of you who think that Jesus was blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and had a little blue sash on his toga, 
you know, and, and just, you know, walked around with a lamb all the time. You know what? This, this is Jesus as well. Jesus turns to Peter. Jesus turns to one of his best friends who really just wants the best for Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I don't want this for you, and it's not going to happen. Jesus turns to him, and he says, get away from me, Satan. Theologically, that's not a nice thing to say to someone, all right? Like Jesus saying, get away from me, Satan, not a good thing. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. A very stern reprimand. And I think we're going to understand why he was so, so hard on Peter a little, um, a little bit later when we look at the next passage. But I just want to complete, complete this idea. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and I believe this is for us as well. This is not just for the 12, but this is for everyone who is here this evening. If any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. And my understanding of selfish is actually the opposite of what we talked about last week, generosity. That you need to turn away from your selfish way and turn to generosity. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, he's not saying go down to Lifeway and buy a cute little gold cross, right? He's talking about the most heinous instrument of torture and death that the world has ever conceived. He's talking about a wooden, heavy thing, carrying it to a place where you are going to be nailed to it, and that you are going to die a torturous death over the next 24 or 48 hours where you bleed out and you suffocate. Very harsh, very tough things. But Jesus understood, right? You guys agree that Jesus understood the commitment that he, he had made. He understood the price that he was going to pay. And he, this is what he's saying. Look, as my followers, it's not all going to be sex and caviar. It is going to be hard. It is going to be tough. In fact, it is going to be like picking up your cross and carrying it to your death. That's the kind of commitment. And Jesus understood the cost of his commitment. I'm one of the most, you know, kind of, you know, a lot of people talk about the split screen, you know, kind of idea in TV today. One of the most vivid split screen of the personality of Jesus and the person of Jesus displaying his his uh, deity and his humanity fighting each other was after all this interaction, after the get away from me, Satan, that, that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's thinking about everything that is going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And he cries out, Abba, Father. You know, this word, Abba, most historians, most scholars uh, talk about this, this, this Aramaic word as a, as a very intimate word that a child would say to their, their father. In fact, kind of the, the English equivalent would be daddy. And this idea that the Savior of the world, that God 
you know, personified here on earth in human form is Jesus Christ. That after he's told Peter, get away from me, Satan, I do not want to hear what you have to say because I need to do this in the intimacy between him and his God and his Father. When everything is stripped away, he says, Daddy. And which would be very normal for a child to say to their father, Daddy, but for an adult to refer to their, their daddy as that or to their father as, as daddy, the circumstances need to be extreme. I heard a story this morning that I wanted to share with you guys of, of, of a time where, where a son had been going um, a certain way, a certain way of, of uh, just kind of self-reliance and, and, and rebellion and was very defiant to his family and didn't want to hear anything. And, and this, this, you know, this man who, who had made his own way when the police came to take him away, it's a true story, they put on the handcuffs, and while they're putting him in the car, he turns to his father, and he says, Daddy, help me. You see, we use this when we have nothing else, especially when an adult, when, when everything else has been stripped away. And this is the reality of the commitment that Jesus is about to make. And he goes on, he's like, Daddy, I love this. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me away. Please take away this crucifixion that is coming. He just told Peter to shut up. Get away from me, Satan. And now he's like, Daddy, if there's any other way than what I'm about to face, let's, let's, let's do it. I need your help, Daddy. But I love the next part, which just really is probably the personification of the idea of commitment. He says, Jesus says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We're meant to be followers of Christ. And that is just a very, very high bar of what commitment looks like. The reality is commitment is not for when things are going well. It is for when there is no other reason to keep moving forward. That, that when everything else seems is lost, that Jesus is all, you know what? The, the, the cost of this commitment is so great, but I understand that this new covenant, this new commitment of grace must happen, and I must move on so it is your will, not my will, be done, Father. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he gave the church a commission and asked us as followers to commit to this commissioning. Jesus came to his disciples and says, I've been given authority in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I have given you. And be sure of this. And I love this part. And think about it in the, in the context of the Garden of Gethsemane. I will be with you always. You know, when, when everything feels like it is falling in on you and you are being persecuted be, for being a follower of me, for committing to follow me, that you know what? You know that unprecedented access that I had to my father when I cried out, Daddy, well, guess what? I will be with you always and you have unprecedented access to me. You see, commitment is not for the easy things in life. You don't need commitment for the easy things in life. It is for the things that will test the very fabric of your soul. And that is what we are being called to. The Christian faith is filled with covenants. God has made a steadfast covenant to us by sending his, his son to die for us. But we were saved by grace, but we were also saved for a purpose. Remember when I talked about 2 Corinthians that God saved us to enable us to be ministers of this new covenant, to be ministers of this new commitment of grace. In order to be ministers of a new, this new covenant, we need to commit to our commissioning to go and make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, I understand that we are all over the map here in our commitment level to Christ and commitment level to the body of Christ and the local expression of the body of Christ, which is Element 3 Church. And I just want to talk really quickly about some different things, uh, kind of next step opportunities for you if, if you want to take a step closer to this idea of commitment. Um, if you can bring up the funnel again. If you're in the, the fascination or fantasy stage, you know what? One great way to kind of blow up the, the fascination or fantasy about what this church is about is to take uh, Orientate. That's a class that I teach. It starts October 30th. You can sign up for it over at the Pathways booth. And this class is designed to answer all the questions about our church that usually would take somebody about two years to figure it all out. I say at the beginning of that class, the, 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 the purpose of this class is to give you all the information you need to pray if this is the place where God will have you. Commit. And that, that's the goal. Maybe you guys are in calibration or somebody here is in calibration and just like, I thought E3 was going to be this, but... Uh, you know, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, to, to move beyond the, the fantasy and the reality. You know what? I want to challenge you. Take some stage classes. Learn more about E3. Get that calibration. Find out some of the reasons why behind what we do and what we believe about, about uh, this journey of faith. Pastor Dan is uh, teaching a, a class called Demonstrate, and you can sign up for that. We also have uh, a class called Investigate, where you investigate the claims of Christ. And in another one, it's Illuminate, just illuminating our faith. So take one of those classes. You know, maybe you're in the fight or flight. One thing I just got to say, don't stay here long. This is like the worst place to be. So if you're there, do something to get out of it, you know, and, and, and figure it out. 
You know, one thing that I thought was, uh, you know what, maybe you've taken all the stage classes that you've gone to growth groups and everything, but you're still in this fight or flight. Hey, you know what, connect with a pastor. You've done everything that you can do. You know, start talking to individuals, ask questions. You know, we may not have the answers for you that, that you're looking for, but at least we'll be honest with you. Connect with me, connect with Pastor Dan or, or the other Pastor Dan or Pastor Eric or some other owner of the church and, and just ask questions. You know, maybe you're in stability. Maybe, you know, you're, you know, you're happy. Maybe, you know, you have a, a seat here that everyone knows that it's your seat and, and that, that, that they better not sit there or something like that. Maybe you've taken all the stage classes and, and you've been baptized and, and, uh, and you're in growth groups and you're serving. And, but you know what? You just, you just haven't committed yet. Well, I want to encourage you to really pray about, about this idea of commitment. And this, and this is why, and, th- and this is what I want to go through really quickly. E3 has about 2,000 people in our databases. Uh, you know, th- these are people, one, one you know, way or another, they, they've entrusted us with their information. They've been part of our church to one degree or another. This is what a lot of churches might call their membership roles. We wouldn't call it that. Uh, but, you know, obviously there's not 2,000 people here tonight, right? And there hasn't, just to let you know, there hasn't been 2,000 people through the course of the day either. Uh, you know, these are people who have just, you know, to one degree or another, they've connected with our church. Out of that 2,000, about 750 people uh, go to E3 on a regular basis. Uh, these are people that, you know what, if you ask them, you know, they would say E3 is their home church. Out of that 750, about 500 people will attend on any given Sunday. Uh, and out of the 500 people, or 750 people really, only 250-ish uh, people are involved in, in growth groups or uh, active service or giving and, and things like that. We have about 250 people in the stability stage. And out of that 250 people, we have 58 covenanted owners. These are people that have signed on the dotted line and said, you know what? This is my church. As long as I'm in Tallahassee, you know, obviously things change and everything. But when I'm here, you know, this is the place that I'm here. And one thing that this does is it tells the other people who are, it doesn't really matter to anybody up here, but the other people have committed. We know if the place is on fire that, that you know what, these 58 people are going to be filling the water buckets and putting the fire out. That this place is not a place of convenience, you know, but it is a place where they truly believe is the place that God has called them so they can best be ministers of the new covenant of grace. And my prayer is for this year, by the end of Pathways next year, that we move people into this commitment stage that we, we double that 58. 
that at the end of Pathways next year, that it's 120 people that have have become coveted owners of this. And you can do it in a year. It takes about a year because we take coveted ownership very seriously. You have to take all the stage classes and everything. In fact, I wanted just to close with this, what it means to be a covenanted owner. And this is what 58 people in this church have done. They've signed this. I profess Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I've made a public proclamation of my faith by being baptized. I've completed all four stage classes. I am committed to and believe that Element 3 Church is where God has called me to have the highest impact for Jesus Christ using my time, talent, and treasures. I personally think that is a, such an important one because if you don't believe that, you shouldn't be here. I am personally committed to active service in the ministries of E3. I'm personally committed to generous giving to the E3 general budget. I'm personally committed under normal circumstances to regularly attend one of the weekly corporate worship gatherings of E3. People are like, what? I can't go on vacation? No. Unless your normal circumstances vacation, you know, which I, I hope is not, that's called unemployment, you know, that, 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 no, you know, obviously under normal circumstances, basically what we're trying to say is if you're sitting at home and you know what, you usually go to the, the 7 p.m. gathering and you know what, a rerun of Hee Haw is coming on, that you DVR Hee Haw and you get over here. <laughs> because it's important to connect with your community. And you can go and watch Hee Haw when you get home. The last two. I'm personally committed to live out the values of Element 3 Church. And these are all things that you learn, like the details of it and orientate the class that I teach. And I'm in agreement with the statement of faith of E3. So those are the things. The band's going to come up and they're going to just close us with one, um, with one song. I know that we uh, uh, personified going long tonight, <laughs> but, uh, but this idea, I believe, is so countercultural of commitment that it, it took a little extra time. It took a little, and I appreciate your commitment to sit through the whole thing. I hope it's, uh, it's a... Um, it's a conversation starter to really ask these kind of questions of, you know what, we live in a culture of convenience and what does it really mean to personify this idea of commitment in this world? So, Evan, will you uh, lead us? Thank you, sir.